Hey everybody, it's Hannah and Eric Goberti, and this is our mini-sode that we uh, promised you in episode 14, talking about some of the things that you should know when you go to Ecuador, start planning a trip to Ecuador, um, because there were a lot of things that we didn't know, yeah. <laughs> and that we learned along the way. Um, we have a special guest with us today, it's my sister, Lexi, and she is a Spanish teacher in the Portland, Oregon area, and she visited this last summer for a month on a Fulbright summer scholarship. Summer seminar. Summer seminar. So mm -hmm. she has a lot of things to add, too, that we didn't pick up on because she paid a lot more attention to, like, culture when she was there versus us. <laughs> we just all... watched the birds. Yeah. She kept <laughs> she kept texting me, like, are you going to go to a museum today? Nope. <laughs> So um, we have a couple different things that we, we've noted that you should know um, when planning. So I guess, Lexi, you want to kick us off? Sure. So uh, like she said, I'm a Spanish teacher. And one of the things I noticed when I was in Ecuador, um, Hannah and Eric, uh, they noticed that not everybody speaks English. And I would second that and say not everybody speaks English, so don't assume that. And also, not everyone in Ecuador speaks Spanish as their first language. Many people speak an indigenous language. And then they learn Spanish later when they start going to school or they grow up with both languages. And there's a lot of influence of uh, Quechua, which is an indigenous language in the Andes, on their language. So they'll in incorporate a lot of Quechua words into their Spanish. So, for example, the word guagua means baby or kid in Quechua, and they say that in in when they're speaking Spanish all the time. Hmm. I Yeah, I really thought most people would know English. I guess that's our... Um... Western influence upbringing, <laughs> but like when we go to Mexico, there's so many people that know English, and so I automatically assumed. But there were a lot of people when we'd ask them, "Yo, hablo uh, no, to habla, habla English," they'd be like, "No." no. <laughs> well, but also Mexico relies a lot more on our tourism than it does. does. Yeah, and it's just the further you get away from an English-speaking place, you know, the less people are going to speak it, which is different. Uh, so something I noticed uh, is that meals are pretty modest. Uh, there are lots of soups, yucca, which is yucca, and it's delicious. And it's more like a potato. It's, and... it's the root of the of like the Spanish daggers type of plant. Mm -hmm. They eat the root of it and just call it yucca. And uh, there was a lot of fruit too. Um, of course, Quito is a big city, and there's a lot of different restaurants. We ended up eating pizza when we were in Quito, but the further you get away from large areas into more rural areas, the more you're going to find more modest meals. Which, like traditional stuff. Yeah, which they were really good. Hominy was real big. We learned what hominy was. <laughs> Had to Google we it there. afterwards. <laughs> and cooey is guinea pig, and that's very traditional up in the Andes. Oh, and a lot of fish, too. Eric kept eating fish the whole time. Oh, yeah. everywhere I went, there was fish. Yeah, I had piranha. I had to eat the Sunny Lodge. <laughs> You got conned into eating vegetarian for like half the time. Lots of eggplant. <laughs> huh. Yeah, so generally, um, most of the stuff that we bought was pretty inexpensive. Um, food was fairly cheap. Uh, when we did stuff with uh, local... Are you just spilling water all over yourself? Yep. Way to go, Lexi. <laughs> <laughs> um, food was generally pretty cheap. Uh, like any of the tours that we went on, if we booked it there, it was pretty cheap. If we booked it through an American company, it's pretty expensive. But yeah. Generally, things booked down there or paid for down there are pretty pretty cheap. I think our hotels were in Quito were like maybe fifty dollars a night or so. Yeah, hotels, food, but all of that course, stuff. like the tours were more expensive. Yeah, especially if they're marketing towards people that are coming from America. Mm -hmm. It's usually American prices. Um, so I think something that's pretty common when you're traveling through 
many parts of Latin America that was true in Ecuador is that you do not flush toilet paper down the toilet. So oftentimes there's a trash can next to the toilet where you put that. Um, but also my travel tip, having traveled through a few countries in Latin America, is that I always keep a little package of tissues with me because not everywhere has toilet paper. But also a lot of times you buy toilet paper when you go, you pay for the bathroom and it's usually like five to 25 to 50 cents and they give you toilet paper. And I actually did go, I don't know if you guys went there, but uh, to one of these places, but we stopped at a gas station to go to the restroom and they had a toilet pe- paper vending yeah. machine. Yes. <laughs> so you, it's like a little machine outside and you put money in and it rolls out like two feet of toilet paper <laughs> And then carry you just it with you. take it off and then take it in there with you. So. I'm just always wondering what happens if you're in an emergency situation and you're like, okay, you get your two feet and you're like, oh, that wasn't enough. <laughs> oh, geez. I think you just learned <laughs> you just you be conservative. Ahead. Yeah, <laughs> that too. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, it's always, it's always a crapshoot, pun intended, uh, whether or not you're going <laughs> to whether or not there's going to be a toilet seat because sometimes there's no toilet seat. So then you build up your squatting muscles. Yeah. Well, I noticed in, like, the gas stations that we stopped at, like, the bathrooms aren't part of the, like, convenience store building that's in the, ba- in the at the gas station. It's, like, an outbuilding that, for the men's, it's just kind of, like, a couple urinals against a wall with, like, a Western-style swinging door that only half-closed. Yeah. <laughs> and then for the women's, it was, like, it was, like, an actual door that closed but didn't really close. That there wasn't like an outer door. Yeah, there wasn't an outer. It was just, it was a, just a door, door to a toilet. Yeah, yeah. It was a little, a little more free and open. Yeah. Um, so another thing, uh, we didn't test the water, so we didn't drink the water while we were there. And a lot of places that we went, I don't know if you had the same experience. They provided bottled water with, for you because they didn't want you to get sick. Um, before all three of us went to Ecuador, we went to the travel clinic in Portland and got the various shots that we needed. And then they also provided us with um, antibiotics in case you had traveler's diarrhea. And they just gave you general tips about don't drink the water when you're there because we're not accustomed to the sorts of things that are in water in Ecuador since we weren't raised with it. So, However, I so I stayed, when I went to the Amazon, we stayed at the Tibutini Biodiversity Research Station. Mm-hmm. And so that was super remote and it's basically a research station for scientists. And there was no bottled water there and all the water that was there was like treated out of the Tibutini River. So it was still pretty cloudy, but that was our only option for water the whole time <laughs> we were there. But I wasn't going to argue with them because it was out in the Amazon and I didn't want to die. <laughs> <laughs> Well, but like generally not drinking the water is kind of a rule for just traveling anyways, because if you travel far away from where you're normally at, the all the stuff that's in the water, even if it's properly treated water, is going to be, it might make you upset. Yeah. <laughs> might give you traveler's day, even if you travel from like Florida to Washington or... So there's, in Ecuador, Ecuador has a ton of topography, which makes it great for birding, because you've got all the different elevation changes, but it makes it exhausting if you're not used to that. Just walking up hills, down hills, up hills, then up hills again, then up hills again. So it's just walking and walking, walking. And you hills. might want to bring like a, a walking stick. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Especially like when we're in the muddy places. Yeah. I think I told you guys all about how I fell on my butt, um, down, slid down a hill. And I wish I would have had a walking stick. That would have made that experience a lot better. I wonder what the TSA feels like about walking sticks. I don't know. You should probably check that like before flying. you bring one on. Yeah. Because they have pointy ends. Pointy ends. And 
The other thing too, especially if you're in Quito or in the Andes, the elevation is very high and people experience all different types of altitude sickness. And one of the ones that I, parts of what I experienced is that if I was walking down the street, even if it wasn't a hill in Quito, my heart might start racing mm -hmm. or I would just be so out of breath for hardly walking at all. And I think it's just important to remember that that might just be altitude and not having a heart attack. But you still want to be safe, too. <laughs> but you still want to be safe. If your left side hurts, <laughs> it might be a heart attack. Yeah. So, uh, but the ways you can, can uh, there's a lot of things you can do for altitude sickness, like take altitude sickness medication or just drink a lot of water and take it slow. And remember that caffeine and alcohol affect you quick, more quickly in high altitude than normal altitude. Which could be a good thing. Yeah, stay up easier. <laughs> get drunk faster. Or get drunk faster. Um, the other really interesting thing about Ecuador is that they use the U.S. dollar. And um, so you can just take regular U.S. money down there with you and pull it out of the ATMs down there also. Um, you will get different coins back as change. So they use a lot of the Sacagawea dollar and other dollars. And then they have the big silver 50 cent pieces. And then there are some Ecuadorian coins that they give you as change. But that's a really nice, convenient thing about traveling in Ecuador. Yeah, it was a little disappointing for me, though, because I collect foreign money. So normally I try to get, like, different denominations of it. But There's only, like, the, no, just the two or three coins that <laughs> yeah, they have cool, that are Ecuadorian yeah. coins. But then we don't have to worry about, like, transferring it back when we get it. Back yeah. to the US. And you don't have to convert anything in your head. It's easy. I know yeah. how much everything costs. That is true. Yeah. Well, it was, I thought it was exciting because the dollar coins, we don't see a lot of dollar coins in America. And mm -hmm. like, there were US dollar coins, they're all down in Ecuador, I guess. Yeah. But there was all sorts of different ones like that I'd never even seen. There were like all sorts of different presidents and stuff that are on dollar coins. I didn't know that we planted, planted a whole, <laughs> I, I didn't know we minted a whole bunch of. I mean, of they weren't presidents. US presidents. <laughs> they were just, US presidents. I'm just kidding. Hey, yay, yay. <laughs> um, so something else to keep in mind is that the temperature is really variable in Ecuador up in Quito. It's pretty, it can be pretty chilly since it's at a high elevation, but down in the Amazon, it was hot. Um, yeah. so prepare, <laughs> miserably hot, <laughs> prepare for, um, all conditions. Um, we didn't really, I mean, we knew we kind of that prepared. like it was going to be cold in Quito, but we hadn't really prepared for like almost snowing. Um, so we didn't have like good jackets <laughs> yeah. uh, and then a lot of rain in the winter. They have, they don't have the seasons in our that, winter. Yeah. They don't <laughs> have rainy season, dry season. Exactly. They don't have fall, spring, summer, um, but those seasons. So just make sure to have a good rain jacket, I think. And also, um, bring boots. A lot of the places will provide you with boots, but if you have a good pair of boots that you like, I'd bring your own. Yeah, we, I was not prepared at all, and one day in Quito, I just like went out in a long sleeve shirt and jeans, because I thought <laughs> we were going to the market, and it ended up we were riding the Teleferico. Oh, Teleferico. Teleferico, up to the... Oh, I didn't know you did. Oh, yeah, you did, because yeah. you went on the swing. Yeah, I wrote, I wrote it up there, and we got up there, and it was like 40 degrees and windy, and I was wearing a long sleeve shirt, so... We, we had our rain jackets, but we didn't have sweatshirts, so yeah. we had our, our thin rain jackets, and like... Pants and t-shirts. Did you guys? Up there. Did you take a picture with the alpaca up there? Was the guy up there with the alpaca? Yeah, but he charged. So yeah, I know. He didn't do it. Uh -huh. yeah, yeah. Okay. We're cheap. All right. So we just walked on by. Okay. Yeah. Just checking. We Sorry. took we took a picture on the swing though. 
Yeah, that was a good. It's cool. It's a, there's a swing and you, if you get it at the right angle, it looks like you're swinging out over nothing and just keto really, really far below. Well, when we got to the swing, it was all fogged in, so Uh-oh. you couldn't see anything. It was just like you're swinging into oblivion. No, I got I got a good <laughs> swinging over keto picture. I was pretty excited about that. So um, when we we booked a local area guide every place that we went, which I definitely recommend. The local guides are going to know their specific little patch a lot better than, like, say, a guide from Quito trying to go over to uh, Sani Lodge or San Isidro, Mindo, something like that. The Quito guides are going to know Quito. They're going to know Antisana and the areas around that. But the local guides, and a lot of times they're marketed as spanish-speaking guides that they don't speak english but most of the guides they're trying to learn english so the ones that we talked to were super excited to be able to practice their english and like work work on trying to figure out their english and then like i i know a little bit of spanish just like one year of high school spanish so that 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 got us through most of the time well and a lot of them that's where they're getting their start they might want to go on to be like a national guide or just you know a really good guide in their location and this is how they got their start and so you're giving them the, a chance to build skills and also you're building skills too by by working with them and, and, and you're supporting someone that wasn't that isn't going to make as much money might be overlooked exactly yeah, exactly well in my experience when we were at the tiputini biodiversity station i i'll just preface this by saying i am not a nature person and I'm a Spanish teacher, and so... Don't put really harsh comments about her. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> I will say, though, I told Hannah she had to be proud of me because I went on a night hike, and there were poisonous spiders all around me that I couldn't see, and I did not make any noise. And she didn't eat any of them either, so I don't know why she wasn't worried since venom. Oh, my gosh. A spider <laughs> venomous. Anyways, this I, is was, what I, do I was terrified. So anyway, and I'm like the worst nature person, but I kind of kept it together for this. So I, but my experience with our guide, we had the same guide the whole four days that I was in the, in the rainforest. So we would go out for like hours at a time and probably what Hannah and Eric did birding, except we weren't just birding. We were looking for any wildlife and we were basically there to learn whatever we could because again, like most, none of us were science teachers. Like we weren't very outdoorsy. Most of us anyways. And I would just be amazed about how we would walk, 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 and then stop. And our guide, who was local, and I think he was Warani, he could sit there for a second and see, like, 18 things around us that I had no idea were there. Like, he would stop at a base of a tree, and he would say, okay, there's a frog. Find the frog. And we would look for, like, five minutes, and nobody would be able to see it. And it would be, like, a frog that looked like a leaf. I don't remember hmm. what frog it was, but it was just things like that that were that I feel like people that grew up in that area yeah. that grew up in the forest they're the only ones that that can have that kind of relationship with that terrain. Oh, Whereas yeah. I'm just trying not to die the whole day, and he <laughs> is like appreciating everything and telling us about everything, and and I really was amazed by everything that they can do. So. Hire yeah. local guides. Local guides are good. Yeah. Um, the other thing is that the Ecuadorians are so friendly and so nice and so welcoming and accommodating. And especially if you go out of your way to try and speak at least a little bit of Spanish. Like me. Yeah. I'm really, really bad Spanish. Yeah. And that's, <laughs> I mean, as somebody who has studied Spanish for like the last 15 years, 
that's just been my experience is no matter how bad your Spanish is, if you go in trying and making an effort, people can see that even though it might not be perfect and they appreciate it so much and they will be so helpful to you. But in general, I felt like everybody was just super nice and friendly and they were happy to have us there and um, they were very excited to share their culture. We went to a few different indigenous communities who still maintain a lot of their their customs and their languages and that kind of thing. And they would just welcome us in and wanted to show us everything. Um, and there are communities, uh, especially like up in the mountains, that want to, that's, they actually have started some kind of tourism where they invite you into their community and they'll feed you and then they'll like tell you about um, what they do and they might like do some kind of music or dance presentation for you or they'll show you like the different handicrafts or the artesanía that they make and um, so I think if you want to have some culture along with your um, science or birding experience I think that visiting an indigenous community is a really good way to give back to the Ecuadorian people who are trying really hard to maintain their customs and cultures along with uh, their languages. So, well, and that feeds right into my next point is that ecotourism is huge in Ecuador. In Mindo, where we're at, about ninety-five percent of the population, their income is based on the tourism that comes in, and their nature is so important to them. Especially when we're in Sani Lodge, which is, I'm sure, very similar to your. That experience. ties right into the other thing Lexi was saying about yeah, it. Yeah, that this is what they do. This is where they're from, and this by us visiting, you know, sustainably and responsibly, it provides them with an income to share what they love and what they're raised in and protect these, these special areas. I thought one thing that was really cool when we were driving around all throughout Ecuador, we would see these huge murals of birds. Yeah. Did you notice those when you were around? Mm -hmm. Yeah. There was well, this... not just birds too. Like in Mindo, they had all the frogs and like the, the butterflies and stuff that were painted up on the on the walls as you came into town, like that were around the schools and stuff. Mm -hmm. this nature is big. Yeah, and that's one thing that's just so cool about Ecuador is that how much they really respect ecotourism. Um, so we encourage you to to go be an ecotourist, but also do it responsibly. Yeah. Yeah. So, I guess aside from doing it responsibly, there, there, so there, there was, there was a ethics, a birding ethics thing that's different that we ran into that we ran and into. we were having trouble with. Yeah. So playback using, using playback. Normally we, we don't really ever run into it in America. Well, the it's, ABA, that's one of their guidelines yeah. and their code of ethics is that you don't use playback. Yeah. Really ever. And then for research purposes, that, that's, that's pretty it. much it. Yeah. And so recreationally, you don't, you don't typically go out and play, play playback, but in Ecuador, and I feel like it's, it's probably pretty prominent everywhere else except for America. So maybe we're privileged and, or whatever, but in, in Ecuador, that was huge. The guides, no matter what guide it was, and it was, it was not so much with the local guides. They didn't use it quite as much because they kind of, they, they know where generally where the birds are going to be. Because they're there every single day, but the bird, the guides that aren't there every single day, playback is huge. They're constantly, they'll they'll play back 15, 20, 30 times, and usually, we'd have to tell the guide, okay, that's it. We're we don't we didn't see it. Let's move on. So that was that was something we really like. I struggled with like, all right, I I don't want to keep hearing the same same bird call. We don't need to keep calling it. Let's so, move on. Yeah. So if you guys are visiting, um, and you are. You you would not like to have playback used. Um, I would just let your guide know oh, yeah. ahead of time that 
you would like to bird watch without playback. Um, I'm sure they would be respectful of your wishes, but well, that's but just it's, it's part of the culture too. It's part, it's part of the culture of the guides there to use playback because well, that's that's the way they were taught. That's the way. Yeah, but I'm sure that tourists they would like be it. Oh, I'm, yeah, they're super to accommodate accommodating. What yeah. you want, but just keep that in mind that that's something we kept running into. Um, something else that I wanted to talk about, which I don't know how much you've really thought about this, but was the role of women. Um, especially out in the Kichwa community that we visited. One thing that I thought was kind of interesting, I was we were talking to our guide, and um, there was a couple young guides that were at the community, and they were talking about how there was only one woman at the lodge, and she just cleaned the bathroom, or she cleaned the rooms. And so I said, you know, oh, has any young woman ever expressed interest in becoming, like, a naturalist? And he started off by saying... English is is really hard language, and that uh, we kind of quit the conversation there because, like, I didn't want to push the the point any further because I was having trouble trying to figure out, like, well, you know, I have an opinion of women that women can do anything and feminists and all that, and they're a culture that you know has specific beliefs and everything, but where do we tie the line of like, well, women should be allowed to do whatever they want versus like they have this role in the community because in the community, all they did was make crafts to sell and take care of the men essentially. But and I mean, the children and, and the children, but shouldn't they be allowed to be a guide if they want to? I mean, did you ever run into like role issues like that? <clears throat> well, it's, a, it's actually interesting because we attended a lot of talks while I was there, mm-hmm. and there were a ton that had to do with women. So I have two things about it that I want to talk about. So the first one is we went to an indigenous community um, where the, the the traditional role of women was kind of like that, but the women had banded together and created something called UNORCAC. It's U-N-O-R-C-A-C, and it's an acronym for something, and I don't remember what it was. But basically, <laughs> it's like a co-op of women who they all are growing their own small gardens at their homes and then once a week they get together and they sell it at this market so it's an entire market of women selling their produce and um initially the men did not understand what they were doing and why they wanted to leave the house and they were very skeptical of the whole thing because the women would have to like gather all the stuff they grew take the bus to the market they'd spend all day at the market a lot of them would take their kids with them they would make some money and then come home and that was really out of place for that community and so uh, these women had banded together, and now they were starting to reach out to other communities and empower women to do this all over. So it's kind of like this like spreading f- women independence movement that hadn't been there before. So that was really cool to see that. And then, um, did you guys have chicha while you were there? I don't know. Chicha, chicha is the traditional um, beverage from the Andes, and it's, I don't think we it's had that, a no. fermented corn beverage, and it has varying degrees of alcohol based oh, on how no, fermented. They offered it, they, but uh, we didn't. Yeah. Yeah, so, I was so hot, and I was like, I don't want to drink anything except the water. And it was like, I like, how do yeah. we drink this? We had definitely drank some Sketch Mountain chicha, but it was worth it, because like we were standing in this huge group of people in a dance circle, and they're passing around this jug, and you can't say no when you're in that kind of situation. <laughs> but anyways, uh, after we visited that market that was primarily run by women, we went to a chicha production um, like factory, I guess you could call it. And it was really small and it was totally run by women. So they, and it, and it's a really popular brand of chicha that's being like shipped all over Ecuador and it's started by women and run by women and everything. So that was cool. So that was how, how I saw women in the communities that are starting to kind of take a role. But then the other thing is in Quito, which Quito is a completely different world mm-hmm. from it's a city. The, yeah, it, yeah. I mean, it's a huge metropolitan city. 
Is it, it's like three million people or something like something that. Something like that. It's huge. It's huge, yeah. And one of the speakers that came and spoke to us is a woman who has a seat in the government. And they have a law in Ecuador that for every man that's on the ballot, a woman also has to be on the ballot. Hmm. Huh. So the ballots, yeah. So when you get your ballot, it's like man, woman, man, woman, man, woman. And because of that, many women have been elected to seats in the Congress or hmm. whatever the government, I don't remember what it's called. But so many women have seats there. There's actually a higher percentage of women in government in Ecuador than there is in the United States. Wow. Way higher. Huh. That's crazy. That's exciting. So... Um, <laughs> I think that that's good because they are definitely like having this huge culture switch because so many women are holding office. Well, that's good to know. Yeah. I was just so discouraged when he'd said that like <laughs> English is the hard language and like that women, I, I don't know, it was almost implied like women aren't smart enough to learn it, but you know, that's, that's a cultural thing. And that's, that was me having trouble like, well, I'm smart enough to know English. And of course, that's my first language, but like. I'm glad I'm proud of you. You're smart enough to know English. <laughs> Thank you. You have one language. My mom taught it to me. <laughs> um, um, no, it's just. It, it was sad for me. I wanted to help the other girl somehow. Yeah. You know? No, I know what you mean. I felt but bad it's that also, she lives in this life. Yeah, but you also have to go in to cultures like that as an observer and not as a judger. Yeah, I know. That's why it's hard. Yeah. Yeah. So I think our last thing um, that we wrote down, at least, was yeah. make sure to have a lot of sunscreen and bug spray. Especially uh, when you're up in Quito. When you're up at the top of the Andes, there's not a lot of atmosphere between you and the sun. So even though it's cold, <laughs> it's like like, right there, you're like you're going to get you're going to get sunburned. Like unless you unless you got sunscreen, even even though it's like 40 degrees. Yeah. So sunscreen. Bug spray, sunscreen. Yeah. So, uh, do you have anything else to add, Lexi? I really loved Ecuador, and I I know some people are afraid of traveling in, in Central and South America because they don't think it's safe, but I always felt safe in Ecuador. I just like to throw that out there. And it was Yeah, it was definitely safe. The yeah. whole, there wasn't, even even when we were like walking through downtown Quito, and it's like normally cities are kind of sketchy. It wasn't really any more sketchy than any town in no, it's, Houston no. it was just or busy. Portland or anything. And it was beautiful, and I would go back anytime. And, I mean, I kind of – I hit way more parts of the country than they did just because I was there for a month, and the U.S. government was paying for it. So <laughs> thank you to the taxpayers. Uh, but um, we we went from the Galapagos to the coast on mainland Ecuador to the mountains to the Amazon, which is called the Oriente. They called the whole – rainforest side of Ecuador, the Oriente. And I uh, thought everything was beautiful and was just amazed. And I, I, I feel like I only saw a little tiny slice of the biodiversity that they talk about. And I want more. Like, I would totally go back. And there, hit, there is a very big expat community in Ecuador because uh, it is so affordable. Yeah, Mendo had a huge population yeah. of expats. Yeah. So maybe when we retire... Move there. Yeah, we'll move there. And Buy enjoy. a hotel with Lexi. Yeah. Live, live, live in the Mindo area so the climate's kind of nice. Not too hot, not yeah. too cold. Lots of birds. Lots of birds. Yeah, that'd be exciting. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Um, Thanks for having me, even though I am not science-oriented. <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you guys for tuning in to the mini-sode. Uh, that almost guys... turned into a full episode. Yeah. We hope you guys had a happy holiday um, or have happy holidays. And we'll see you guys in 2019. Yep, see ya.